My brothers and sisters, we have before us the guidance of Islam to help us set our affairs in order. Everywhere that I travel, Muslims ask me inevitably, how do we balance between the deen and the dunya? We're working eight hours or nine hours a day. When the Quran was revealed in the time of Prophet Muhammad wasallam. There were no work hours. People worked as was needed. So, it would seem that they would have a lot of time to themselves. Time which they could use for ibadah. Whereas today, working eight or nine hours a day, sleeping another eight hours, the remaining eight, we're eating, we go to the masjid five times, and then what's left? So how? How to find the balance? This is the question that people ask everywhere. It seems as though the dunya has encroached on our lives to such a degree that there's no room left. For ibadah. Beyond just the basics. Absolute basics. However, at the same time we all know that the deen is until the last day of this world. Allah would not prescribe for us something which we couldn't do. Because he promised us, La yukallifullahu nafsan illa wasaha. Allah does not burden any soul beyond its capacity. This is his promise in the Quran. So though it might seem as though finding the balance is impossible, we know in our heart of hearts, we know it is possible. And that's why we ask, how? Let us know that in the time of the Sahaba, they complained to the Prophet ﷺ about the balance. In spite of the fact that they seem to have had so much more time than we have, they complained about the balance. They said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, I think we have become hypocrites. Oh, he asked him, why? Why are you saying that? Because when we're with you, our iman is high, we're 
keen on the deen, remembering Allah, and as soon as we leave, go home to our families, we forget. Caught up in our family things until the next time we see you. So it seems the time that we're seeing you is so much less than the time we're not seeing you. It's not balanced. It's like we're hypocrites. We're only pretending. He said, no, no. It's not like that. This is how life is. You have time for this and you have time for that. You make the most of this. You make the most of that. The balance is there. If we recognize these two aspects of our lives that have to be treated in accordance with the teachings of Islam. They're one. They're not two. We have one life. And the principles governing that one life are the same. It's just we need to know them and apply them. So, the solution for getting that balance correct was not left hidden when Prophet Muhammad ﷺ left this world. He didn't leave that solution hidden. He made it very clear to his companions, to his followers, what they needed to do to establish that balanced life. The balance between the deen and the dunya. He left it. He left it in a well-known statement which you have all heard thousands of times. Maybe almost in every khutbah. The khatib will, will mention it. But we just didn't put it in the correct context in our own lives. He said, Prophet Muhammad said, I've left with you two things. If you hold on firmly to them, in tamasaktum bihima, you will never go astray. Kitabullah wa sunnati. The book of Allah and my sunnah. These two principles, when applied in our lives, as the Prophet ﷺ demonstrated to us, establish the balance. The balance is established through these two principles. On one hand, the principle of holding on firmly to the Qur'an. This is from the deen. And on the other hand, in the deen, holding on firmly to the sunnah. That both of these have to be firmly held on to.
If we are able to do that, then the balance has been set from the perspective of the deen. Then we have to apply the Quran and the Sunnah in our dunya to establish the balance in the dunya. So, once that is established, our lives become balanced. Appropriately balanced. So, if we start with the Quran, establishing the balance for the Quran, getting the Quran into the correct position in our lives. When the Prophet ﷺ said, if you hold on firmly to it, it doesn't mean hold on firmly to that physical book, which you have been taught if you drop that book, you have to pick it up and kiss it. Which the Prophet ﷺ was never reported to have done. But we have been taught, hold on firmly to it. Do not drop it, meaning drop it on the ground. You drop it on the ground, Audhu Billah, pick it up, kiss it. And we have developed all kinds of rites and rituals about that text. All are, go from one part of the Muslim world to the other, you find all kinds of things. Instructions, rules, policies that have to do with holding on firmly to that book. But these rules and instructions, etc., were never instituted by the Prophet ﷺ. People made them up. They made them up. It was easier for people to relate to the physical book than to relate to ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ much more difficult to relate to that one. What the book actually says, this is the book in which there is no doubt. Hudan lil muttaqin. Guidance for those who fear Allah. That was what needed to be held on firmly to. The guidance. But that required so much effort, people found it easier just to hold on to the physical book. So they left the guidance and they held on to the physical book. So on our walls, right, we feel our home is Islamic when we put on our walls pictures of Yasin, Ayatul Kursi, Mulk, etc., etc. You put these different Quranic Chapters beautifully written in exquisite calligraphy, colored, painted. We're holding on firmly. But that was not what was intended. Nobody in the time of the Prophet Muhammad wrote Quran and stuck it on their walls. I'm not saying it's haram to do so now. But if the first generation didn't, it means it's not necessary. That is not what makes our homes Islamic. Or, 
if we say it is the recitation of the text, okay? So now we have recording devices which will play the Quran in our homes. So Quran is playing in our homes all the time. In our cars. That's for those of us that have that concern, wanting to hold on firmly. We play it in our cars, play it in our workplaces, etc. Everywhere. But, it's being played the way that before we became Islamically conscious and we are into music, we used to play music the same way. In our cars, in our homes, in our workplaces, all. Music was everywhere. And it is everywhere. You have places you go, you can't even go into the bathroom. And they got music in the bathroom too. It's everywhere. It's background. Ambiance, they call it, you know. Providing a mood, putting you in the mood. That's what we have done with the Quran. We're using the Quran in the same way to provide a mood. But is that how the Quran was supposed to be used? When Allah told us, إِذَا قُرِئَ الْقُرْآنِ فَاسْتَمِعُوا If the Quran is recited, listen to it. Once or two and be quiet. Hear what the Qur'an has to say. Hear what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to say. But we're playing it as background music. So where is the holding on to the Qur'an? We have let it go. That's the reality. Stuck it on the walls. Play it as background music. It is not a book of guidance anymore. It is entertainment. It gives us comfort. And is it actually even the words of Allah which give us com comfort? Or the melodiousness of the reciter of the Quran which is what's giving us comfort? The beautiful voice of that Qari. That's what gives us the comfort. It's not what he is actually reciting because we have no idea what he's reciting. And you might think, oh, we non-Arabs are at a disadvantage. But even the Arabs will play it, they're not listening to what it's actually saying. Same thing. Of course, it's easier for them to, okay, catch themselves and say, okay, let me really listen to what Allah is actually saying here. Much more difficult for the rest of us. But, nonetheless, that is what has happened. We lost our grip on the Quran. So to find that balance, we have to get a hold of the Qur'an. Spiritually, 
We have to establish that spiritual connection with the Qur'an wherein we are now guided by the words of Allah. Whenever the Qur'an is read, if we treat it in that fashion, we seek to understand what Allah is saying. Whenever it is written, we seek to understand what is written, what it is saying. We are not satisfied with just seeing the calligraphy or hearing the beautiful voices of the Qurra. When we are able to get past that and reattach to the Qur'an, then we have put the Qur'an in the proper place and we have a chance now to find the balance. The sunnah, the sunnah, holding on firmly to the sunnah, similarly involves following it. Following the sunnah. Following it as it was intended to be followed. Following it in all aspects of our daily lives. This was the intent of the sunnah. The sunnah was the translation of the Quran into a living example. That's why Aisha when she was asked about the character of the Prophet ﷺ, his moral character. And he said himself, I was only sent to perfect for you the highest of moral character. She said, His character, his moral life, was that of the Qur'an. He was the living Qur'an. So that's what we have to do when we try to follow the sunnah of Rasulullah To hold on firmly to that sunnah. We have to know what that sunnah is first and foremost. Because we have so many things today in different parts of the Muslim world which people consider to be a part and parcel of Islam and it has nothing to do with Islam at all. And people will say, yeah, it's from the Sunnah. Which book of Sunnah? The collection of fabricated Sunnah? Yeah, they have collections of fabricated hadiths attributed to Rasulullah commonly practiced by Muslims all over the world. That's not the sunnah that we're supposed to be holding on firmly to. We are supposed to be holding on firmly to the authentic sunnah of Rasulullah Not what people practice believing that it is from Islam. When in fact it is only their cultural customs and traditions. So holding on firmly to the sunnah requires making the effort to know the sunnah. 
And that's why the Prophet ﷺ had said, طَلَبُوا ilmi فَرِيدَ ala kulli Muslim. Seeking knowledge is obligatory for every Muslim. Because to know the sunnah, we have to make the effort to get it. We have to seek it. It is not just gonna come to us without any effort on our parts. No, it's gonna require us to make an effort to know it. And then, when we have found it, we hold on firmly to it by practicing it sincerely. Sincerity. وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِسِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ This is what Allah said. We're only commanded to worship Allah, making religion sincere for Him. So we have to practice that sunnah sincerely. Not just ritualistically, but sincerely. We need to know there are rituals, there are rites and there are rituals. But in our implementation of these rites and rituals, we need to do them sincerely. From our heart. Not just from our physical bodies, but from our heart. And the difference will be clear to each and every one of us. The difference between the prayers that we are making today, which people come and say, you know when I come to pray, everything starts going in my head. I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about that, and my mind is here, there, everywhere, so on, so on. Before that, I was focused in my workplace, so on, so on, so on. So. I'm going to pray now, and all of a sudden, as soon as I get in the masjid, and I stand up, Allahu Akbar, and it's like, I'm in the midst of a massive conversation. Ideas coming from here, there, everywhere. I can't concentrate. How do I concentrate? Well, you know what the Prophet ﷺ had said, whenever you come into the masjid, you shouldn't sit down until you have done two rakat. Whenever you come into the masjid, you shouldn't sit down until you have done two rakat. Why? People say it's tahiyat al-masjid. You're greeting the masjid. Well, the Prophet ﷺ didn't say that. People call it that, tahiyat al-masjid, greeting the masjid. But he didn't say that. I mean, when we come in here, we greet the masjid, does it greet us back? We're saying that, but that's not what it's about. It's not about greeting, us, greeting the masjid. It's about knowing why we are here. That's what it's about. Knowing why we are here. Because if we just come running in, and you're not supposed to be running, a lot of people run. The Imam said, Allahu Akbar, and people want to make sure they catch that rukur, so they're dashing into the masjid. This is not from Islam. Prophet ﷺ said, don't do that. Don't run. We were running in, and 
diving into the prayer without any preparation. That's what the two rakah sitting, get into the masjid early enough that you can make your two rakah before the iqama. To get your head around straight, settle down your mind, Calm down, you're here for worshiping Allah. You're not here just to finish off those four rak'at and dash back out again. Allah doesn't need that. That's not what He has prescribed. He prescribed worship, ibadah. Ibadah is not just these actions. Because he told the man who just did the actions and did them quickly, go back and pray because you didn't pray. So know that what we're doing today, believing that we're actually worshipping Allah, we're not. We're just coming in, running through some movements, actions, so and so, and run back out again. We call it salah. But it's not really the salah which was prescribed for us. It's the ritual. We stood, we raised our hands, bowed, made sujood, sat, tashahud. We did all those things. But they were blind rituals. Blind rituals, not prayer. So that is following that sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is turning that prayer into prayer, real prayer. Sallu kamara aytumuni usalli. Pray as you saw me pray. That's what the Prophet said. You think he was doing what we do? No. So holding on firmly to the sunnah is doing it the way he did. Praying those two rak'ah before sitting down. And if there's any of you who have come into the masjid this morning, this afternoon, who didn't, you just came in and sat down, get up now. Get up now and pray your two rakat. Don't be shy, everybody's going to be looking at me. No, I don't want to do it. No. That's what he said. Do not sit down until you have made two rakat. So if you haven't, get up and do it. Don't be shy. Don't care. Anybody's looking at you. Get your reward. Get what the Prophet ﷺ told you to do. Don't be shy. So that's how we have to treat the deen. We have to hold on firmly to the example of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that's why Allah said, "Laqad kana lakum fi Rasulillahi uswatun hasana." There is in the Messenger of Allah for you the best example. Example meaning how to do it, and that's why He said, "Khudu anni manasikakum." Take your rights of Hajj from me. Do them the way I did it, and so on and so forth. Taking the deen the way Rasulullah sallallahu practiced it. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us to get back on the deen. Holding on firmly to the Quran and understanding it.
letting it enter our hearts and make a difference, change our lives. And holding on firmly to the sunnah of Rasulullah wasallam, And making it the means for modifying the path that we are on. To get us back onto Sirat al-Mustaqim. That we pray for every day. 17 times. Ihdina Sirat al-Mustaqim. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us that Sirat al-Mustaqim. And to forgive our failings, our weaknesses, our violations of his commandments. And violations of the sunnah of Rasulullah The last part, the dunya. How do we get the dunya in order? It's a big topic. And we only have a minute or two to finish the khutbah. Actually, I've talked about it on numerous other occasions. I've spoken about work worship. Since most of our life is work, then the key is making it worship. That's how we can find the balance. If we can turn our life our working life into worship, then we have done it. We have done it. The rest has to do with the family affairs, etc. Sleeping, eating, doing it in accordance with the way of the sunnah, not violating the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are balanced. And the main two principles which I gave for work, worship, is one, Nafa. That the work be beneficial. That whatever job we have taken is a beneficial job. Not a job which is destructive, harmful to the society. Make sure that your job is bringing benefit to the society and not harm. That's Number one. Because the Prophet ﷺ had said, خَيْرُ nas and فَعَوْهُمْ nas." The best of people are those who are most beneficial to the society. So we want to be among the best of people. In our work. Work which is beneficial to society. Meaning, benefits as defined by the Qur'an and the Sunnah. It doesn't mean benefits as people may perceive them. But as described in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, as beneficial. Whatever is not beneficial according to Qur'an and Sunnah, no matter what people call it, no matter what people call it, entertainment, that sounds nice. It's good to be entertained. Sometime, to have some entertainment, some fun in life, you know. Life should not be drudgery. It should be something that you can live happily. Of, of course, there's going to be some times that are down. But being entertained with your family, your friends, travel, all these different ways by which people entertain themselves. 
is acceptable. Islam doesn't forbid entertainment. The Prophet ﷺ used to race, horse race, camel race with his companions. That was entertainment. They were entertained seeing the Prophet ﷺ wrestling with the companions. This is entertainment. But there are many other things which come under the heading of entertainment which are haram. And we need to know. We need to be clear. This area of entertainment, though we're calling it entertainment, it's not halal entertainment. So we're talking about halal entertainment. And so on and so forth for all of the different areas of our general life. And the other principle which has to do directly with our work situation is that of itqan. Doing the best. And you've heard me talk about this before. The cat and mouse game in the workplace by which people do the least. People sign contracts for 40 hour weeks months, years, receive pay, but don't do the work that they signed for. They only work when the manager, the director, the CEO, the whatever is around, they work, and when he's gone, they don't work. Or their whole work level drops. 80%, they're down now just to 20, just to maintenance. So I don't get fired, I do this much. That is dishonest work. We cannot go before Allah and say, that work I did, put it on my scale of good deeds, Ya Allah It's not on my scale of good deeds. Why not? I worked all this time. Because it wasn't work according to the Quran and the Sunnah. It was the cat and mouse game. When the cat is away, the mice will play. That's what we're doing. We're playing mice. And this is dishonest. Dishonesty. Cheating. We say, well, okay, but the, you know, the guy gave us a salary which is below. That's what you agreed. You signed on it. If you don't want to do it, then don't do it. Be patient, find something which is more suitable. But once you sign on there, then you've got to do it. Do it properly. Do it to the best of your ability and know you're doing it. Why? Not for your employer. You're doing it for Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we treat our jobs as jobs we're doing for the sake of Allah, that Allah be pleased with us when we do it, then we have our job in place, in position to become ibadah, for which we are rewarded. Even though there is no obvious acts of ibadah in it, it has become ibadah, because we're doing it for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
And we're doing it in accordance with the way which Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi taught us. So I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the best of this life and the next. رَبَّنَا أَتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا وَالْآخِرَةِ And protect us from the hellfire. I ask Allah not to have our hearts change, swerve, after He has guided us. رَبَّنَا لَا تُزِغْ قُلُوبَنَا بَعْدَ إِذْ هَدَيْتَنَا وَهَبْ لَنَا مِنْ نَدُنْكَ رَحْمَةً إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْوَهَابِ O Allah, forgive our sins this day and onwards. And forgive the sins of the past. O oh Allah, forgive the sins of our family members and put those who have passed among them in gardens from paradise rather than pits from hell. O oh Allah, give us the iman to carry us through this life firmly on Sirat al-Mustaqim and protect us from al-Jaheem, from the hellfire and from evil in this life and in the period of the grave aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfir lahi wa lakum min risal muslimin wa kullu bidhanb fastaghfiru innahu huwal ghafurur rahim aqimus salah seeking knowledge and obligation made easy thought about studying for a long time tuition fees keeping you from actually starting Islamic Online University has led a revolution in online learning. The world's first tuition-free degree, BA in Islamic Studies. Access the knowledge, any place, anytime, anywhere. It just doesn't get any easier than that. Classes, texts, assignments, completely online. Set your own schedule for the semester. No overseas travel required for the exams. Subjects taught by qualified English-speaking scholars. Weekly live sessions in virtual classrooms. With curricula based on those in El Medina University in Saudi Arabia, El Azhar University in Cairo, and other reputable institutions around the world. Why wait any longer? You pay just a symbolic registration fee and are ready to begin the adventure of higher education. The most diverse student body of any university in the world. 130,000 plus registered students from 217 countries. Log in to the website for more details. www.islamiconlineuniversity.com